Welcome to Disrupting Japan. Straight talk from Japan's most successful entrepreneurs. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for joining me. Today, I have a special in between episode for you. At this year's big Tech in Asia Tokyo event, I moderated a panel on artificial intelligence with some of the leaders in the field in Asia. We talked about how to separate the AI hype from reality, where companies can and are finding competitive advantage in AI, and whether in the decades to come, artificial intelligence will be serving us or whether we'll be answering to our robot overlords. Joining me on the main Tech in Asia stage were Alexis Zhang, product lead at Uber, Toshitara Nagumo, the CEO of Phoenix Japan, and Takehiro Shoji, venture partner at Zeroth.ai. It was a really interesting conversation, and I thought I would package it up and bring it to you exactly as it happened. So let's get right to it. I've been looking forward to having this panel for quite some time. So we're going to be talking about artificial intelligence. And before we dig too deep into it, I want to get one thing out of the way. So artificial intelligence has been a very unusual discipline over the last 20 years. There's been two forces pulling it apart. On the academic side, there has been this trend to say that any success no longer qualifies as intelligence. If a computer can play chess better than a person, we back off and say, well, that's not really an intelligent requirement. When computers can paint pictures, we say that, well, painting pictures doesn't really involve intelligence. Now, the flip side of that is we've got marketing pulling it the other way, where every company coming out of Silicon Valley or you know, Shanghai that uses a trivial amount of heuristics or some kind of a Bayesian matching system is promoting themselves as an AI startup. So my question to you is, how do you tell real AI from kind of this fake AI when you're evaluating startups? And is that a distinction that you even think is important? Do you want to bring it first? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I assume that uh, I'm the third person. <laughs> well, um, yeah, thank you so much. Um, uh, I'm the uh, venture capital, I mean, the uh, Phoenix Venture Capital is a Silicon Valley-based uh, venture capital that we invest globally, mainly the uh, uh, advanced technology, of course, including the artificial intelligence, uh, robotics, IoT, any kind of stuff. But artificial intelligence is a sort of the elemental technology, so it doesn't... It, it doesn't work as it is. I mean, it used for some solution or some application, stuff like that. So the way to use is, uh, you know, the most important stuff. And then to me, the, uh, well, um, this is not a company view. My personal view, I mean, the artificial intelligence need to be to me the, uh, not the AI, IA. I mean, the intelligence augmentation, stuff like that. You know, this technology needs to support the human being's activity or efficiency, whatever stuff like that. So currently we are, you know, kind of looking at, the, you know, the, the startups from that kind of perspective. So technology per se is not the kind of very important. Well, some technology is very important, but, uh, you know, we kind of look at the more like a solution or how to apply this technology uh, from the perspective of intelligence augmentation. So in a sense you're saying, whether something is AI or not 
is not that important. What you're really looking for is the business model of the company, and they can call their software whatever they want. Yes, yes, yes. Some, some, yeah. Well, we, we don't. We, we see the AI, but uh, when we look at the other kind of business, but uh, you know, when you think about uh, uh, robotics, IoT, uh, fintech, healthcare technology, whatever. I mean, those people used uh, some sort of AI, deep learning, machine learning, whatever. So uh, you know, it's kind of a basic infrastructure, sort of. Alexis, you have a perspective on this that's coming more from a deeper engineering point of view. So how does Uber, or more particularly you, distinguish between real AI and regular algorithmic decision-making dressed up as AI? Um, I actually like the very practical view of um, instead, of let, instead of debating whether something is AI or not, let's look at like the result of it. Let's look at the impact, so to speak. Um, so for me, one of the most favorite things I like to do as a product manager in artificial intelligence is try to beat my product. Whatever artificial intelligence or machine learning algorithm I build, I try to make the same decisions or try to run the same analysis. And I compare the results of what I can do to what my machine learning algorithm can do. If the algorithm is doing a better job than me, um, in my books, this is true AI, that it's being more scalable and more efficient but than what, humans. What kind of tasks? I mean, uh, an Excel spreadsheet can add up numbers much, much better than I can. Yeah. Uh, a chess player, a, an online chess game will just kick my ass. I have no hope <laughs> against it. So, so what type of tasks are you competing against your own AI with? Um, you're absolutely right. So you mentioned that th this field has been 20 years old. Um, actually, the first mention of AI, I think, is back in the 50s. When people first started looking into AI, there were several tasks that people believed um, would be the definition of AI. First one is use languages. So today, if you look at artificial intelligence, look at Alexa, look at Siri on your iPhone, and these are really understanding human languages, even including edge cases where people have accents or people are using lingos. Uh, so to me, these are true AI. They actually understand languages much better than humans can because every one of us are limited by our culture or our first languages and things like that. And the second one is form abstractions and concepts. So when you look at a lot of the optimization tasks that we do today in Silicon Valley companies, and AI are able to do this much better than human for several reasons. Number one is that it has more experiences than human beings do. So I live one lifetime. I probably can meet, what, a few thousand people in my lifetime. But AI has unlimited people it can meet. It's the limitations, only the training data you can put in there. Um, and also, it has unlimited computing power. So for me, I got tired. You know, after the session, I probably want to take a rest. But artificial intelligence doesn't Just have this going. limitation. Absolutely. And the last one, and I'll hand over to um, my colleagues here, um, is AI actually is very principled. Once you set up the objective function, it's very faithfully optimizing towards the objective function. Versus humans, we have a lot of concerns. How would I look in front of the audiences? You know, how would people perceive me? And AI doesn't have challenges like this. So you're just saying one of the advantages of AI is that it does not get distracted from its goal like, like we humans do? Absolutely, although there, there's a downside to that as well. As we briefly talked about, uh, when you allow artificial intelligence to, to cheat, it would actually cheat. 
it can figure out the easiest and the fastest way to achieve the objective function. It doesn't get the fine context of uh, a, a lot of the, the, the other things that's going on around it. Okay. Taka, what are your, what are your thoughts? How do, you, how do you determine between real AI and let's call it marketing AI? Or do you agree that it's not really worth worrying about? Actually, AI is such a handy word, so every startup can mention we use AI to solve some particular like, kind of problems. But the, I think the core AI is core AI, which is kind of come from research labs, but we basically focus on the kind of narrow capability AI, which can do specific stuff. And always like, everyone has different definition for AI, but the, it's buzzword, to be honest. So. <laughs> No, I, th I think there's definitely, it's, it's, it goes in cycles, and AI right now is definitely a buzzword, but when you strip away their buzzword, there's something very real right. underneath so it. So the thing is like the all AI startup, like which one to mention about we use AI, should have very high quality data or community which can contribute data to the company, and that will be very, very important aspect, and data is very important to build the algorithm. Like, if data itself has biased, maybe the result will totally different. So they have to really care about the kind of the quality of uh, data that they use for AI. I think the real AI company tend to have very high-end data cells or community which keep contributing the kind of data to improve the algorithm. I think you're hitting on what is one of the biggest dangers of AI, and it's not the robot overlords and Skynet, it, it is that we will start relying on AI based on the output, not knowing or, or not reviewing what these biased inputs might have so, been. Like Facebook, image recognition is very accurate, but when black people posted their photo, they recognized that guy with different style. I think some of you guys thought about the article, and if they have more diversity from the original picture data, maybe Facebook could recognize black guys as, you know, the, as it is. And it's hard to, you know, the mention about this kind of stuff, but the always like, like members who develop AI algorithm and also the training data has, you know, the more diversity to put into AI. Yeah, I mean, in a way, AI kind of amplifies our own biases and thought processes for good and for bad. But before we go off too far into the distant speculative future, for good or bad, let's, let's talk about what's happening right now. So what I want each of you to do is, is to tell me not necessarily the most promising use of AI you see today, but what use of artificial intelligence do you see deployed and in commercial use and providing value today? And uh, let's go the other way this time. So Alex, do you want to bring in on this? Sure. Um, there, are, uh, there are many fancy applications of artificial intelligence, obviously. So we were talking backstage a lot about autonomous driving. That to me is one of the most exciting applications that we're going to uh, see in the future. Um, the bikes sharing companies really excites me. I was reading an article recently um, that a friend sent me. They're coining it assets in the wild. So imagine a tomorrow where 
uh, goods and commodities like bikes. They have intelligence on their own. They're like living in the wild. They can market themselves and sell themselves and interact with consumers on so their own. They're roaming the plains like the buffalo. <laughs> Absolutely, I like the buffalo analogy. The AI we do today, though, are actually but what, how very does AI, humble. How, how does AI play into that? They would just be intelligent animals and... They know where they are. They know which customers are, you know, the, the have like, you know, fraud tax on them. They know which payments to accept. They actually know, um, they, they have a goal of where they want to be. Because imagine one of the problem actually talking about bicycles. I've been thinking about this topic a lot. Uh, I was recently in China. You see so many bikes out there, right? Oh, yeah. Um, you can probably can accomplish the same amount of trips. And I'm not working on bicycles, but I'm speaking <laughs> kind of for these companies. If they optimize this more, you can probably complete the same amount of trips with less bicycles if the bikes know where they want to be. And you can potentially incentivize your users or pick the right users who's going to bring you to the right position where you can have the most impact in terms of trips. And, and this is being deployed now? To a certain extent, I believe people are thinking about this, but since we're talking on this topic, optimization is the most used AI application today. Okay. So traditionally, when you have to optimize something, the classic one is supply and demand, talking about transportation, and you need humans to actually do this. Before I was in AI, I was a consultant in the airline industry, and then for dispatch, it was usually a very hard, um, and crew management was a very hard logistics problem that airlines have to work out. And nowadays, algorithms can do this much better than humans. And, um, and these create a lot of efficiency. So you can you know, be more accurate. You can create more efficiencies that humans cannot see just by running queries. Okay, so the, the AI approach that has increased the productivity in like aircraft maintenance is going to be used to take it to the next step where we have autonomous consumer agents wandering the halls and wandering the streets trying to sell us things. Yeah, and taking the same... I don't know if that's good or bad. <laughs> well, taking the, the same argument that, you know, we evaluate by how much financial benefit AI is bringing us, I'd rather think AI has huge financial benefits, both in terms of CapEx and OPEX. So from a CapEx perspective, it makes every asset that we already have much more efficient. Going to the bike analogy, that one bike can complete more trips when you use AI to optimize it. And the OPEX, in terms of cost efficiency, so if you can optimize crew management, dispatch, and these things much better, uh, that saves the amount of time um, an airplane sitting idle or the amount of humans you need to put into the process. Excellent. Um, Taka, what are your thoughts? What's the most impressive use of AI you see in the wild today? So like you the city made AI bot to advise their sales guys, sales team. So one of you the city sales guy had very high conversion ratio rather than any other salespeople. And they, he was very good at sales talk, especially for leading customers to conversion point. And bot learned how to communicate with customers and they built bot to advise to another sales guy, why don't you try this phrase? Why don't you suggest this kind of cost to these kind of customers? It's kind of combination with AI and human, and it works really well. Did, did, the, did the same company also take that learning and apply it to the rest of the sales staff? 
Uh, no, that's only for online sales, and that's the specific okay. kind of case study for the Utah city. But I think this is kind of the, how they make use of their kind of the conversational data. Because when it comes to like direct sales, there's no like data which can we can take from there. But when it comes to online sales, they basically use like intercom to you know the chat with end customers. They can you know the extract data from there, and they analyze the kind of the the way sales guy talk and when how they you know push the cost to customers. So it's the kind of there's some kind of the you know the rhythm or like kind of the mechanism that human who is really good at sales knows that. And if another sales guy can learn from him, maybe it's really effective and efficient for each sales team to increase the revenue. That makes sense. Let me ask you to take that technology and, and march it into a future in the future for a couple of years because this is the same thing I see on the marketing side versus on the, the user side. So on the marketing side, there's all kinds of companies pushing sales bots, support bots, and, and you know, you, your, your customers don't need to talk to a real human being. They don't really want to anyway. It'll reduce your costs. But almost every time I found myself interacting with a sales bot or a support bot, it's been absolutely infuriating. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you think the technology will improve, the AI part will improve quickly enough to avoid this customer rage? I think that's a <laughs> very unique kind of way of thinking. And maybe every, every single user will have some kind of advisory bot. You should, take this, you should not take this. You know, the, if sales guy is really good at sales, maybe we have to you know, the, take each single suggestion carefully, right? Which means that we need some advisor bot. <laughs> so we could have our own bots to protect us from these other bots. Maybe that's in the future, I, I think. I, I kind of like that. Right. So well, my bots would go and log on and right. they would say, okay, you're 120th in line and report back to me and say, you don't want to talk to this one just yet. And right. that could work. Right. For instance, like when you log into like bank account and like bot will suggest you, you should not send money to this guy or something. That's kind of the very you know the very futuristic topic. But I think the kind of balance between sales and the kind of the customer. I think the sales guy has you know the more like advantages in the AI perspective right now. But in the future, maybe user will have more you know some benefit from AI somehow. Right. Excellent. Toshi. What do you think? What is the most interesting and promising use that you've seen of AI that's actually out there being used commercially? Yeah, um, the, uh, we invest in the uh, AI-related companies for, uh, for these one or two years. I mean, more than 10 companies, uh, all from the United States. And the one is, uh, you know, the, uh, we invested the last year, May or something like that, called Affectiva uh, Emotion Recognition Engine, which can tell, you know, you know the, now you are the, uh, you know, delighted or sad or happy or, you know, even drowsy or drunken or what kind of, any kind of stuff. Well, so it, it, it's commercial use like, uh, you know, the, uh, in the media or advertising industry, so the usually, uh, you know, the Coca-Cola, those guys provide and uh, make the advertising, I mean, the uh, commercial uh, film. I mean, then, you know, the which, which uh, stuff is better for the, uh, the next campaign or something. And then they collect their uh, panels 
then they take the questionnaire, which is good, bad. But this technology can tell that really how they feel, and then even the which thing they are kind of excited. So they can kind of combine, then you know can make a good you know. And so and so this is in production and use or right yeah, now. Yeah, yes. You know, I've always uh, in the future. In the future, so not quite yet. Mm -hmm. See, I've always had doubts about that, those technologies because, I mean, sometimes I have trouble recognizing when my wife is upset at me. And I just don't know if AI can quite jump up to that level so with people they don't know. Um, so you, you want to have the, uh, the, uh, some kind of guidance to how to deal with your wife? I mean, when she gets mad or something? It would be very useful if it works. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> I think that kind of stuff is the next step. I mean, the, now the you know, commercial-wise and the, you know, kind of the increased efficiency is the, one of the you know the most uh, important aspect. But have you seen anything from your portfolio or even outside the portfolio that has been uh, a big change in AI already in the consumer markets or business markets? Hmm. Change. Well, you know. Um, change a lot. I mean, yeah, one of the stuff that which invested the last month, I mean, uh, which is uh, x.ai, is a kind of personal scheduling assistance. So when you, when you put the, uh, um, the uh, Amy or Andrew, is the name of the guy, or the lady, and you know, uh, the email with the CC, and then, you know, the first of all, uh, when you have a first contact with the guy who wants to make an appointment something, after that, the those, uh, you know, the agent uh, does the, uh, you know, kind of make a, you know, the, you know, adjust the schedule, compare, uh, uh, looking at the calendar or something, you know. So that sort of stuff is, uh, you know, okay. now realized. Useful. You know, I'm going to throw in one of my own, which is Amazon's Alexa. I think Amazon's Alexa is transformative, not necessarily in the, only the way we order goods and the way we're providing an interface to the computer, but there's been a lot of articles written on Medium about how Alexa is changing the way children communicate. Uh, one of my favorite articles written was like, uh, is Alexa raising my daughter to be an asshole? Nice. And the idea was, you know, you're training them never to say please or thank you. And it, it is, it's having an effect on how a generation of children is being raised. It has good effects too, I'm sure. No, I'd say like Alexa is definitely an existing AI project that's having an impact. Okay, let, let's talk about advice for AI startups or AI companies in general. So right now, artificial intelligence is, um, I mean, there, there is no one thing that is artificial intelligence. It's this huge com combination of disciplines and libraries, but uh, Google and Amazon both make artificial intelligence engines available on the cloud very, very inexpensively. Um, Amazon has even open sourced its core engine so everyone is kind of starting from the same place in AI. So my question to all of you is where is the best place that startups or even big enterprises can find competitive advantages in AI? Where should they be looking? And it's a hard question, so I don't want to call on you, but does someone want to jump on that? <laughs> it's very difficult yeah. for the Accelerated perspective, they provide a bunch of coupons to start up from the beginning. 
that's actually a very good entry point to keep using that. For instance, like I previously worked at Digital Garage, uh, we used to have that uh, open network cloud and we had very tight alliance with AWS. So startup tend to use AWS. And Zelos.ai, they have also partners for server side. I forgot who was the one, but like we purely recommend to use them to cost money, I mean to save money. So do you think do you even view AI as like a competitive advantage, or is it just another tool like a, a database that so you would use? And also, it's actually more than like, like kind of the, it's actually, if developer really wants to keep using Google, they tend to use Google. And if engineer was really good at AWS, they prefer to use that. And that's kind of, the, I personally think, the blockchain-related analytics is really good for Azure, Microsoft, and TensorFlow-related stuff is really good for Google. So I think the specific team has, you know, the specific destination for like backend side. I think, but I'm not sure which is the kind of the best combination for like specific kind of the categories for the startup. Okay, um, Alexis. Rather than I mean, putting aside the specific platforms being used, with AI being just so cheap and available everywhere, and everybody wanting to be an AI company. How can, a, how can a AI company create competitive advantage, create something that's unique, build a moat around their business? What is a strategy that they can do that? I would say a couple of things. One is figure out the right use case for AI. Um, today is actually not every single use case is best suited for artificial intelligence. Um, there are, I've seen people apply AI in many problems that may be more simply solved with, say, a linear query or something much more simpler. Um, and secondly is how you are going to um, collect the data. So AI is like a child. It needs to be taught. Mm -hmm. You have to very clearly specify what is your objective, what are you optimizing for, and what is the good scenario and what is the bad scenario. And then how are you going to use training data to continue to learn and improve? So if it's a, it's a use case where there isn't a lot of data or good data, then this is usually not the best situation for AI. And thirdly, I'm going to throw in something that's a little more provocative, is how does your AI solution going to work with your human employees? That's actually what we've seen as one of the hardest problems today in AI. So human-human collaboration is already pretty hard. I think every one of us had experiences where we had an argument with a colleague and we cannot get to agreement. And imagine working with machine learning algorithm. You cannot yell at it, and it's not going to react to you yelling at it. Um, you cannot negotiate with it because once the objective is already set, it's on its own course. And the bigger problem is actually when humans and machines make very different decisions. That's where we see the most of the challenges. And this is actually a field where people have not thought enough, I would say. If you look at AI algorithm, there are a lot of very sophisticated technologies today. Um, but in terms of how to make humans work with machines, mm -hmm. and this is actually a very new discipline and not a very good solution yet. So competitive advantage can come from access to very accurate and large amounts of, of training data and from the, the interface and the human-machine interfaces that surround the AI, AI applications. Yeah, and figuring out what's the good roles for humans, what's the good role for machines. 
Actually, very interestingly, machine learning is very similar to management. It's not necessarily their task that we can actually do as humans too, and task where the machine can also do. And the reason you hand over the task to machine is not necessarily because it does better. It's just because it's much more efficient. So versus doing it yourself, you can actually give it to the machine to do. I actually think the newer generation will make much better managers than our generation because they grew up in the world of AI and from the beginning, they understand to hand over tasks to others and to let go and to delegate. And this is where like, AI will achieve the most efficiency for in the business world, actually. Excellent. Toshi, what are your thoughts? Where, where can a company maintain a strategic advantage when AI is getting so inexpensive? Well, you know, um, the uh, AI is going to be like a kind of a cell phone or internet and kind of universal stuff. And, uh, you know, then I think the uh, most important stuff is that the purpose and the solution, what is the value proposition for that kind of stuff? So, you know, uh, otherwise, I mean, uh, you cannot make any money. So uh, just, you know, deep learning or whatever. I mean, if you, if you like, uh, you know, people, you are the what you eat. The same thing happens uh, kind of the... Uh, uh, AI, if you feed the yeah, bad data or you know unnecessary or unwanted data, that will learn some you know that will give you the, some bad you know result or the guidance or something like that. So this is no good. So how to change? How to you know uh, make it uh, uh, appropriate? Is uh, I mean you have the you know the uh, certain purpose or solution, then you can kind of design what kind of data, what kind of information need to be feed. So don't feel the kind of junk, you know, stuff. I mean, it's going to be a bad result. So it's a, it's a tool and yes. just use it for the right job. Yes, 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 I think so. We only have just one minute left, but I want to ask you all a question that has been bouncing around in AI circles for the last six months. And that is um, people like uh, Stephen Hawking and Elon Musk have predicted that artificial intelligence is letting the genie out of the bottle. At some point, the artificial intelligence will become so much smarter than we are, we will not be able to control it, and we will have the proverbial robot overlords. Now, without going into, we'll go into the ways and the details over drinks, but show of hands of who believes that's likely to happen versus who believes that's unlikely to happen for our AI panel. So who believes our future is going to be uh, AI robot overlords. No? Who believes that we're going to be firmly in control for the next, well, foreseeable future? I think that one. And one abstention? I think it's going to be neither. It's not going to be as bad as people describe. <laughs> it's not going to be as perfect as people expect either. But it, I'm going with a very safe answer here. Yep. Okay. Well, <laughs> it looks like the raw vote is... Just, the world has been saved. <laughs> and um, thank you all for coming out this morning. And let's have a big hand for our panelists. And we're back. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. You know, I speak at a lot of events and moderate quite a few panel discussions on startups and innovation here. Let me know if you want to hear more of these kinds of discussions. And since Disrupting Japan is back to its original bi-weekly schedule once again, 
I can squeeze them in between our regular deep-dive discussions with Japanese innovators and startup founders, which, by the way, will continue on schedule next week. And most of all, thanks for listening. And thank you for letting people interested in Japanese startups know about the show. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for listening to Disrupting Japan.